Output is in my ears and the M. No, this is wrong. Uh, okay. Do I sound oh, yeah. better? Ooh, there you go. Much yeah, better. You go. Okay. That's what I thought. Much more theory esque. <laughs> That's right. There was, um, I, I spoke to um, a, a listener not terribly long ago, um, and I did it with the, um, with, with the AirPods, was the microphone. And he was just like, Do you? normally talk through that microphone <laughs> and i said no i just had to and he had like a i don't know i felt like i, I ruined his estimation of me by speaking into the wrong piece of equipment <laughs> so anyway so i'm glad to have avoided uh, uh such a such a sin a second time right? so as we record and one of us is, is quieter so it sounds like we're not as kind of intelligent or like in discussion. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like not, not is... as a par that is really funny. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. The the less the uh, the the lower the, the lower audio person is the idiot. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter what they're saying. It doesn't matter what they're saying. It's the it's the, the the sound of it. I mean that 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 kind of um, technological legibility. I don't think that I, people on the other side. I don't think they they're not forced to think about that. But that's absolutely a thing. Bring, they don't know what the persecution the persecution that we podcasters have been through. <laughs> First, they came for Joe Rogan, and I said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that was really funny. But uh, before we go forward, wait, who's Michael? Or is Michael the one who is and so on? Hey, how you doing? I've been oh, uh, corresponding with Michael. It's it's late for you. I appreciate you doing this. No worries. And it's cold. You can tell. What's what's it? Oh, what's the temperature? Obviously, <laughs> you, you're going to do it in communist uh, Celsius. Uh, <laughs> Fifteen degrees, Ryan. Wow. Okay. Apparently, Which that's is, not cold. It's not cold. It's it's no, sixty it's degrees. Uh, it's sixty. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. But he's in Australia. Come on. Yeah. He's in Perth, right? <laughs> Thank you. It's all relative. When I live in California, well, I'm not in California right now. But being out there for three years, I'm with you. When it got to uh, fifty five, like it sometimes gets to like fifty five, and it feels very, very cold. And when I was a grad student at University of Vermont, I walked to campus one day, and it was negative. 19 but because i had been in california for three straight years that felt as cold to me like the 55 felt as cold to me as the negative 19 did it's mm -hmm. all based all on yeah. what you're used to yeah i guess i would say guys uh can you go to the top of the document we have a document oh yeah, yeah. we have a document mate. don't you worry yeah. about it yeah we're, we have we it's have for, uh, it's it's for uh, uh, gotcha questions yeah oh <laughs> and and personal grievances that would stress me so much if we had to do like like a real gotcha episode well it's like um what is it like i actually write about i write about this in the seriality book is like it, the um i think i've said this on the show before gotcha is as much memory as social media will allow mm -hmm. and mm. and i think that is just in that has now just been in that that's just in culture more generally is that it's like to to call 
uh, I find this really interesting too, is that there is a difference between hypocrisy and like existential contradiction. But because of this other thing, the gotcha thing, those two get kind of collapsed to be the same thing where mm -hmm. it's like, well, two years ago, you said this thing and now you're saying this other thing. Hip and it's like to be a hypocrite is like, I, I think the hypocrite is aware of it. It's a it's an unconscious choice. Yeah. Contradiction is something else. That's just like you like again. But my favorite example because I just I think it's just it's the, uh, one that everyone can understand in a way. Like your your worst quality being your best quality, and your best quality being your worst quality. Like you can't. It's not really? escapable. That's not you being a wait. Yesterday you were really nice, but for the same reasons today you're a dick. That's no. That's not you being a hypocrite. That's this yeah, yeah. like existential contradiction that is just like riven <laughs> right. through you. Like anyway. So. Um, maybe we should start, uh, just briefly. Hello, uh, we're G-Jack and Son, and we're, today we're speaking with Ryan Engley. Hello, hey. Ryan. Hey, hey. Nice to have you on. Nice to be here. We're all, uh, long-time listeners of your podcast, so this is, uh, yeah. this, is, this is like, a you know, meeting, a The true star of Y-Theory. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, I, I do, it, it is kind of funny that, um, I said this to Todd one time, that, uh, it's a little funny like he only books that he's written after we met which i i i don't think is a, i don't think it's a coincidence uh and the first one that the only the first most recent one that he likes uh is the book that uh, i i am the first quotation in it it's in the comedy oh, yeah. book and uh and then his most recent book is dedicated uh to me uh oh, which that's is uh, that's right yeah nice. it is nice which is the racist fantasy book and i'm glad that he hasn't at least so far been canceled over it because that's the one dedicated to me and i would feel like <laughs> i don't know if i don't know if this is a thing i don't know if secondhand cancellation is a thing but i would feel that if that happened to him so that's anyway. in certain certain areas it is but <laughs> yeah and you're the you, you blame you're... it on you this is all because of you ryan that's exactly right see that's that's and that's the other side of it is that then i would be the one who would be blamed so <laughs> And you're glossing over how Todd mentioned you in the acknowledgements, but passing off all email correspondence to Ryan Engley if anybody had an issue. <laughs> oh, that's right. That was in the um, that was in the universality book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was in. The, yes, that's right. Yeah, the, his uh, his very nice um, uh, footnote to me. Um, the uh, the idea the idea you know, there was there's a particular. It's a funny word choice by me. There's a particular understanding of the universal that he employs that he says is so indebted to me that all objectionable emails should go to me instead. <laughs> but I, I believe I'm, I'm, I'm. I think there's a, there's like a typo in there. It's a really nice example of the unconscious choice. I think he misspells my email. Mm. So it's like he was <laughs> sort of his unconscious was say as he was consciously trying to undermine me. His unconscious saved me. So I, I kind of think that was one of the. I don't know. It's, it's a, one of the greatest acts of love that he's ever shown me. So, I think yeah. that applies nice. to Zizek's constant um, misspelling of Todd's name in all of Zizek's books. <laughs> <laughs> wait, I don't know that I've. I don't know. Wait, how does he? How does he do it? I don't know. Dude, that he does like M A C, like Mac Gowan. Oh, oh, oh like right. over and over, over and over. And we're at like Todd with one D. Like he just like messes up his name. Yeah. Oh, you're so right. He does do that. See, that's love. I, I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, Michael, I, that's love. I think yeah. you, you misspell someone's name repeatedly. <laughs> uh, that's love. Just like, yeah, a minor act of, of disrespect or something. We were just on a previous episode talking about 
in defense of lost causes mm. was that that the one yeah yeah, yeah. uh we're in the in the dedication it's it's to Olympia and uh mm. it's when they were Zizek and him were at a conference and Vidya's phone rings and instead of turning it off or going to a different room he asks Zizek to uh, keep his voice down while he's on while he's talking to someone Okay, <laughs> and and Jesus, that's not the truest mark of friendship. He doesn't know what it is. There we go. Yes, total t- total rubber stamp endorsement on that. Completely agree. Completely. Um, we actually usually uh kind of start with like how you came across Jack and like oh, sure. how his work kind of figures in your own. Okay. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah, I can totally do that. So I was an undergraduate at uh. It was called Bridgewater State College at the time, um, but now it's called Bridgewater State University. Uh, on a technicality, I believe, I had it explained to me that uh, there were a number of schools in Massachusetts uh, in the U.S. that wanted to be a part of the uh, University of Massachusetts system, and UMass did not want that. And what they uh, discovered was that they could call themselves a university dis- despite not technically being one, because it was all... Uh, like like a college is supposed to be a place that you can't get an advanced degree at, like a master's or, grad, or, okay. or a PhD. Because Americans talk about college all the time, and like, as a Canadian, it's a little funny because everywhere people go to universities here, that's what yes. they call them. So yes. it always was a bit of a confusion for me. So there Ryan's we telling so us he went that... to community college. I, yeah. I, did. <laughs> I did. I did. I dropped out because I that was when I got in a car accident. Uh, was right, in, right. Uh, halfway through the first year, I did go to community college. Um, and dropped out uh, for medical reasons, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so I was um, I was there um, at, at the fake state university, state college, um, and writing my um, master's thesis on Shakespeare. And I don't quite know. Oh, yeah, this is how I got here. I, I don't know how, how this came up, but but somehow I stumbled on looking awry. And the reason is oh, because yeah. in the beginning of that, uh, in the introduction, I think, I was just searching for like I was just doing an exhaustive search of like because to do something on Shakespeare like like it's it's one of these things that I I, I sometimes really like I groan about. Um, do uh, are any of you play video games? I have no idea. No, okay. So Metal Gear Solid Two is a very famous uh, video game and and much discussed, um, especially online. There's a lot of videos about it. Um, part of the reason is because the like the the game. Uh, flips the protagonist into someone who no one cared about at all and it was like it was just like the, this rupturous thing a lot of people returned the game to GameStop the next day because they were so pissed that the protagonist changed and all anyway so there's all kinds of studies about it like, like engagement with it a lot in popular media and I one time heard somebody say like uh it haven't isn't is, isn't there no, uh how was the how was the phrase there can't be anything more to say about Metal Gear Solid 2 and I just, as someone who studied Shakespeare, it's like, dude, like, like this is much older, much longer <laughs> yeah. study. Like, like yeah. you, you, it's not that the, to, the failure to say something about a work says nothing about the work. It's about the person who's saying something about the work. Mm-hmm. That was something yeah. that I had to like understand because it is overwhelming to like study someone like Shakespeare and try to say something that no one has said before. Yeah. And so I was trawling through really anything anybody had ever written on uh on on Shakespeare and and particularly like more recently what was a more recent turn because I had all these like this like formless turn that like the Northrop Fry like this kind of thing and I I don't know how the library search found this but Zizek has this line 
and I'm forgetting I'm forgetting what play he says that it might be Richard too, uh, where he says that it's proof that Shakespeare had to have read Lacan. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Like you, you know, yeah. you know that this like great like retro causality thing. And I had no idea. I had no idea who he was. I could not. I thought his name was a joke. I was like Slavoj, Zizek. Like it just made no sense to me. Um, and I brought it to my advisor, who was like, "I, I don't, I don't think you should really be citing this." <laughs> what he what what he said to me. Uh, you shouldn't cite this guy. He's more of a. And then this didn't make any sense to me either because he wrote this under email. He wrote he's more of a Lacan scholar, but I had never heard of Lacan either. So I was like, Lacan. I was like, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know anything. Um, but that was. Uh, but I read a little bit. I tried to read, uh, and and I saw that he'd written these things on Alien, which was a film I'd really, I, I, I adore, and mm-hmm. um, and and felt as a like I had started to like come to a mature understanding of as an undergrad in a, in a film class. Um, and so that's that's where it started. And then when I went to uh, UVM and uh, to work with uh, with Todd, as it happened, that that's that was when I I went back and I had like. A basis for understanding. Uh, a, a, uh, I was just about to call him Slavoj. I have no right to call him Slavoj because uh, we're not friends. Todd and here. <laughs> uh, the the first book that I read was The Puppet and the Dwarf, and that was like really, really, uh, really like it was just mind opening to me. Just just to to think in in a way. I, I like you can you can see easily why contrarians are attracted to Zizek and I don't think that he is a contrarian but you can see it because what he rejects is uh normative and staid logic yeah, yeah. and and uh any kind of evaluation about any kind of cultural object or social formation that yeah. has become doxa and he just had this way of just f- flipping on its head things that I thought I understood very well I grew up catholic I thought I understood Christ and Christianity pretty well um, and I was reading this book and the way that he shows this, like this radic this radicality to Christianity that is mm-hmm. not a part of Christianity as practice, but is mm-hmm. there in the text, this mm-hmm. idea that a loving God means that there it's a lacking God. And this is the first time that a lacking God has ever occupied the center of, you know, a, a, a dominant religion like that was. To wrap my head around uh, took uh, it took a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, that's where that's uh, that's where I started. That's how that's how I got how I got hooked on Zizek. So then you you meet with Todd. Did you know Todd was a Zizek guy before no. going to UVM? No, um, no. This was it was all a, all a, all a meet, meet cute, all an accident. Oh, that's say. nice. Yeah, uh, I had no, I didn't know how did you meet Todd. I, I well, I took so how did I meet Todd? Yeah, so um, I uh, when. When you get well, sometimes this doesn't always happen, but in English departments, uh, sometimes <laughs> uh, decreasingly, uh, English departments have uh, funding to give to grad students, and um, you get to be a, a funded student, which means that you don't pay to go to college. You get paid a pittance to do uh, to being to be a TA um, at a state university. I should say you get paid a pittance. There are some places that pay better, um, and. Uh, when you were a, a TA, I was like terrified because what that meant at UVM didn't mean I was assisting another teacher as that a, a Todd assistant. <laughs> no, it, I, that would have been a lot easier for me. What it meant is you're teaching your own class. You're the solo oh, instructor wow. in the room. Is I so I went from being an undergraduate and it was a real confrontation with uh, with castration because like you, you I, like 
I went from being an undergraduate student to about, oh, well, I graduated mid-year. So about six months later, teaching undergraduate students and teaching in writing classes, because that's, that's usually how it works. And um, I had never taken a writing class that ever. Right. Um, because, because I like, it, it usually happens if you really like literature, you tend to test out of the, uh, those classes. It's just like one of those things. So I had never taken a writing class and then I was expected to teach it. And, um, I was terrified about all this stuff. So I was just trying to get as much information as possible. And I met with the director of graduate studies who asked me about my interest. And, um, I told her what they were. And, uh, you know, as I just mentioned uh, in undergrad, it was Shakespeare, but I was kind of moving away from that because, um, I, I, I did, I, I did sort of dis despite, I, I don't know that I said anything thoroughly original in my master's thesis and uh, master's thesis. That's funny slip in my undergraduate thesis, same thing about the master's thesis. Um, <laughs> but I, I just became, became kind of exhausted about, um, about Shakespeare and Renaissance studies and things like that. And it wasn't really what I cared about. It wasn't what I thought about when I wasn't doing school. It was more television. And so I mentioned this to uh, to the DGS. And she said, you should take a class with Todd McGowan. He writes, he just wrote something on disaster films. And I thought, oh, interesting. Because the that film Anonymous, right, about Shakespeare not being oh, Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, that was coming out. So that So she kind of made that connection and... Uh, and that, and so I signed up for his um, his theory class, his uh, in, introduction to I think it was introduction to literary and cultural theory. That was what the the, the name of the class was, and um, it was it was <laughs> so that's the class that's uh, somewhat immortalized in his book on comedy because uh, Todd was telling a story on the first day of class, and um, this uh, was friend of mine. Uh, his name is Carl, like he laughed at the story because he thought the way that Todd was telling it was funny, but he laughed before the punchline. And Todd was just like, you, you laugh before the punchline, like the punchline's about to, <laughs> and I said, he premature ejaculated. <laughs> and Todd thought that, he thought that was so funny, he didn't even laugh. He just looked at me and he was like, that's incredible. He was like, you could use that. And I didn't know idea what he meant. You could use that. I was like, you use it. I was like, I don't know. Looked, what, I don't know what you use it. <laughs> he looked at you he was like, let's start a podcast together. <laughs> <laughs> that, we, should, we should do a podcast for eight years or whatever it's for yeah, six years that's funny yeah so um anyway so anyway it was just, but uh taking taking that class with him i was um so okay so i had uh i had some professors in an undergrad who had acquainted me a little bit with freud and mostly i had i had uh become acquainted with psychoanalytic theory through uh queer theory that so that was like my only like that was like kind of my anchor in the in that class and uh i was the as you know i i don't think this this it, it always works out this way in fact i'm sure that it doesn't but uh, i was it, in that class i was kind of the only person who was really interested in in psychoanalysis so i ended up talking with todd a lot and there were some uh like i i made some like baby step connections to for between things that I had was reading in the class and outside of the class, things in G, I think this is the thing that is like the thing I said before our show, the, the thing that the, your best quality being your worst quality and your worst quality being your best quality. I think that one of the best qualities about Zizek is that when you read him, he it is so generative 
that you start making when, once you understand something you start making you understand connections to all kinds of things mm-hmm. the um the, the only the problem is that like often well, this is where where i uh ran up against this is that like you make the connection but you don't know why it works and i think you have to do that like i think that ha- that that has to be the thing like like so i was making these connections to uh community the nbc series and I know that like we recently on the podcast talked about bottle episode. That was not anything that 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 I didn't come to until much later. But it was um, I, I I think I, I wrote this thing that I presented at a uh, the Northeast MLA conference uh, about the I think it was I, I did something on the uh, like the visual gaze and the uh, the documentary episode in the second season. Um, and I and and so I was making these connections. But again, like 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 they worked and i haven't looked at the paper i mean i wrote it so long ago i haven't looked at the paper as like 10 years ago now but i'm sure that all the things would still stand up but i had no idea why it worked and so that that took me much longer to understand i think sometimes like there there uh zizek inspires a rush to application when what he does is more complicated than that but it's because it's so accessible that there is a rush to application after reading his work, but really he, he's always so good at this, which is, and, and, and this is the most important thing is that like, he doesn't just apply theory to objects or take objects to, to theory. He puts them in this, in a dialectical relation where the object tells you something about the theory. And that just, it sounds simplistically put, but there is profound, like mm, to, yeah, to really, to, to be, to be able to, to like, to root that out. So I wasn't there yet. I was like, I was at the application stage, which is like, mm-hmm. I mean, grads as a grad student that you kind of should be. And I was like a first semester grad student. That's where you should be. Um, and it, it took time and uh, a lot of thinking and a lot of work uh, to to move toward show like like having a grasp of how everything worked enough to be able to see an object. So for me to see an object like like the bottle episode and say, this is explicable through Hegel and also it's in a way more Hegelian than Hegel is on some of these points. And and so it, 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 this actually explains how he works back to him mm. in a way that like yeah. he couldn't have gotten to on his own, you know, like, so like th- those, uh, those, uh, I'll call them theoretical moves. Uh, I was going to say gestures, but it's not strong enough. Those theoretical moves are, were, were things that like, you know, I had to finish my master's to do and get my PhD. And like, it, it, it is real. It sounds stupid because like, especially if you, you know, like to, especially if you grow up, uh, like working class or, and like you, you it, it can be hard to think of like knowledge work as real work. Cause there's nothing that happens to your hands at the end of the day, but like, it, it is, it is real work. Like, like, uh, and especially I, I, you've listened to the show, so you, so you know this, but just for, for people who don't, like, um, uh, I mentioned the car accident that I was in in 2007. Like, I suffered a traumatic brain injury. I'm sure all of you know this. And um, to, like, just to think, just to be able to think after, uh, you know, being in a coma and being in the hospital for a month and outpatient rehab for, you know, four months and, you know, and all the all the rehabilitation, like, just to be able to to think, like, I just, like, I promise you, maybe you don't feel thinking as work, anybody mm-hmm. listening, but it is. It, it mm. really, really is, especially mm. to think something new, something you're not predisposed to thinking, something that is against your inclination, that is real, real work. Absolutely. Definitely. That's what that's like you said, one one of the things that's great about Jizek is it kind of frees up at least an approach to 
thinking about things and you know what if the exact opposite mm. is true like, like <laughs> yeah sure sure a non-intuitive sure. way of of engaging with with theory and media etc uh yeah, but absolutely speaking of which engaging with theory uh we read i think this is a recent essay but correct me if i'm wrong ryan your essay called psychoanalytic seriality as media theory from freud's mm -hmm. couch to yours mm -hmm. yes that is a recent article that was published in Continental Thought and Theory and a, re a really excellent theory journal that is open source, uh, run by, uh, I believe, oh, not an Australian. Uh, I'm what, is, what a slur. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the uh, same thing, whatever. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want to. I can't do that, obviously, as, as Michael pointed out. The, 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 it is a, it, it's a it's a it's a war. So uh, <laughs> it's it's warring factions. Um, but uh, yeah, so our great journal, um, uh, Cindy Zier, uh, uh runs and absolutely a shout out to her. She did a wonderful job with it. Uh, and Mike Grimshaw as well. Uh, so yeah. yes, I, I, have, uh, I have published that. That was a, mm -hmm. so that I think it was a 20, 20, 2019, 2020 publication. I'm, for, I'm forgetting. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe it's even earlier than that. But that is, um, as I'm, I've been writing my book and I've, broke, I've broken up where that article places in the book i think it's kind of crazy that i wrote it as one article because there are three that i've kind of broken pieces of that into three separate chapters so um it's very it's a very serial approach there ryan the <laughs> yeah USA. well well i'll tell you to um to write a book is a even though it ends up being a standalone uh product at the end of the day um it is a serial um endeavor so like uh, and I'll start by explaining uh, seriality in these like like really basic terms. Um, when you uh, when you write a text message to someone, I'll even like put it at that level. Okay, when you write a text message to someone, and let's say it's a slightly difficult text or something that you want to be careful about explaining, what is it that a lot of people do? They start writing it in the notes app on their phone, or they start writing it somewhere mm -hmm. else first. And what hap what happens when you start writing one of those? messages is that you start creating rules for yourself uh you don't want to keep saying the same word you don't want to bel belay the point you you want to make sure to say something you have to figure out well is this going to occasion uh more texts is this going how what is it what is the response that i want mm -hmm. and so you start going through all these things which is like who's the implied reader of this text how do i want the person on the other side of this to, what, how do i want them to to read this how do i want them to feel what do i want them to think how do i want to come off and you start doing all of these things that it's exactly the same thing as writing a book like you you have to you but you do that right. all the time for everything from the sentence to the chapter layout to like how you're explaining yourself so that's a little little brief little introduction uh into uh what what is what would be a serial process in everyday life which i think is really important so mo seriality is one of these things that begins with the material it's uh it's not it's 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 not even a terribly old idea the the word is only is i think it's first coined in like 1823 and it has to do with it started to be used as a as a word to describe um like arrangement of teeth in a biological organism or something like that <laughs> so it came, came from biology and that's like we don't really I'm, I'm i'm sure that word is still used in biology today but like that's a real specialist case because like 10 or so years after that uh, after the word is invented uh, for all practical purposes or coined would probably be a better way to put it um there are productions in uh, uh, uh sorry uh, technological advancements in print production that enables serial 
novels, serial magazines, uh, you know, all this, this like incredible, like, like proliferation of what we would start to call serial media that hadn't existed there too for. And Dickens is the, so uh, it, it's not the case that uh, novels had never been put out in uh, installments before. Uh, I think Robinson Crusoe was put out uh, in the 1700s in, in, in installments, but it had been written first. So what Dickens did is he writes the Pickwick, it's normally called the Pickwick Papers, as a slightly longer t uh, title. He writes the Pickwick Papers in 1836, and it's the like it's the first text in English. And also, um, Honoré de Balzac does the same thing in France. Not mm -hmm. they don't know anything of each other, but so something oh, wow. happened. Yeah, so in 1836, it's just the, the serials it's in the same air. year. Same year. Yeah, it's yeah, like, same year. Cool. Um, it's like getting invented. Mm. Exactly. Dickens yeah, yeah, yeah. comes it, with it, Balzac. Yes, he does. Very nice. Oh, Michael, you uh, you, you grabbed the bag with that one. So, um, D Dickens and uh, and Balzac, um, what they do, and then this would later be like shortly thereafter. Um, this would happen in Russia with uh, Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. Um, yeah. and uh, and then in the U.S. Um, with uh, uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe and Uncle Tom's Cabin, uh, which. Would be become this is something that's in my book's introduction. That would be the uh, best selling, the second best selling book in the whole of the 19th century, uh, I think, in the U.S. Um, and it only outsold by the Bible uh, in the the whole of the 19th century. So, like, so not only so what what Dickens does, I sort of skipped over this, but it's important is that he's writing the story as it's being put out. Okay, and that's like really mm -hmm. really crucial because what it what it does. And this is why a lot of like part of the reason why people um, uh, are drawn to the Victorian novel when talking about television is does make it a lot like uh, specifically American television in uh, older dispensations where a show is being it, it isn't so many weeks ahead. It's maybe like six weeks ahead. And um, when you write that way, I mean, this is what happened to Dickens. When you write that way, something can happen. There can be this magic in this triangle that you have between author, text, and audience. Mm -hmm. And you have this thing where you didn't plan on something being good or important or even interesting, but it catches on. And so there, so Pickwick Papers wasn't selling super well. Uh, this is like a well-known story. Jennifer Hayward does a good job of uh, re recounting this. and like, She's an excellent uh, scholar of the Victorian serial uh, in a book called Consuming Pleasures. And wasn't selling super well and then there this cockney character sam weller is introduced and people love him and so dickens is like how about some more of that guy why don't we yeah. do a little why don't we do a little bit more of that <laughs> and and so and this happens like this happens in tv like you know like a, a pretty good example of that that i always have at the top of my head is um the character of Ben Linus on Lost was not written until Michael Emerson had a scene stealing uh three episode stint on the series and people liked him. He was supposed to die. Like he was just supposed to be like a nothing character, but people liked him so much that like, not only did he become a pivotal character on the show, but it like, it launches like career a little bit. You definitely uh, had the more. sensation. They were making that one up as they went along. <laughs> yes, that is true. <laughs> well, yeah, because like the part of it is like, that's the thing that like, it's really because of lost in, uh, uh, in, I would say Sopranos to, and just this era of TV that people even write the end or, you know, like, mm -hmm. like before yeah. they do any, like, like that was just yeah. not, 
like there's a great story i'm uh there's a great story in the in the i guess in the 60s my uh, my my dad told me this i believe it was the fugitive the television series and the show like the the guy who was the i'm forgetting his name the guy who's the showrunner he just came to the writer's room beginning of one season and he says to everybody he's like okay we got to start thinking about how we're going to wrap this up how we're going to end this and everyone laughed at him i was like you don't end the show. You get <laughs> right, right. Like, and and that's true. Like, more, like, far more shows have been canceled than have ever had an <clears> ending. <throat> uh, you know, and this is this is still the case. Um, and but this whole thing, this is sort of my point. This whole thing is is uh has been around for about you know 120 years, which isn't really isn't that long. It's it's <laughs> like it's a little bit older than uh than film. You know, film, which 1895, which the incredible coincidence of film and psychoanalysis mm -hmm. uh, be, becoming, uh, you'd say, not maybe you wouldn't want to use the word invented, but like being like announced like to the like to the, the masses uh, during the same year. Uh, and th with the uh, publication of Studies in Hysteria and then the Lumiere Brothers uh, and everything wow. that, that uh, I'm, it's not people always think it's the tr uh, the train arriving at Seattle Station, but that's not the that's actually not the first thing. I'm forgetting what it is right now off the top of my head in 1895. But anyway, um, the when there is when there is a new kind of media, just to go back to some of the earlier stuff we were talking about, when when a new kind of media happens, it all it also carries with it a new way of thinking. And this is my and th this is my claim, and this is kind of where I get into my. Uh, my area is there's a lot of really wonderful writing about serial narrative and serial television and 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 uh, you know even stuff like uh, non-narrative seriality like uh, Wikipedia updates you know like um, and I imagine somebody's working on something about the like the seriality of like I iOS updates and, and and things of that that nature which is also one of those things where like is that non-narrative because like literally the update itself there's always the like whenever apple puts out a new thing there's just like like the, they change the font or they change where the clock is and then there's like yeah. suddenly there's all these like memes or whatever so it's like is there like the narrative gets generated from that in yeah. the same way that ping pong balls come out of a machine and we generate narratives about the nba draft so like <laughs> is is it really non-narrative anyway so my my interest uh, is here where that there is a um we have a psychical attachment to media and that there is something about the materiality of the serial that I, I think overlays the, the, the word might be a homology. There is a homology to the way that our psyches work. So our psyches have always been serial, but until it's material invention, that can't be understood. And so that's something that's really interesting. You know, like, like uh, as, you know, I, as I write in the, that article, Freud is in 1895 in studies on hysteria in the first in the text announcing the psychoanalytic method he it, it starts to talk about one of the issues with the 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 treatment like as a, in a structural sense which is just that mm -hmm. they have to end and they have to end and and he can't he could, can't really come up with a way to make the ending of a of a of a single session meaningful like it's left to the clock when the when the clock strikes twinge like you got to go and that to him as as he writes is like uh when you when when everyone sits down to read their favorite serial story uh and the a shot has rung out or a heroine has made a decisive speech and you come upon the words to be continued 
And so like it's a a kind of a dumb thing to say in in one sense, but like he can't write that if the serial doesn't exist. Yeah, it's like it's like sorry. Sorry. No, 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 go ahead, please, please. Oh, it's like uh, the session is over for George Costanza when when the zipper becomes uh, unstuck (laughs) from his jacket. So that's better than the right. So that is more like Lacan. That is more like the punctuated session, because (laughs) what Lacan is trying to avoid is this exact problem of that that freud uncovers which is that like you make the clock be the meaning making signifier yeah. to a session and and that it, yeah. impedes like it's anything funny, yeah, yeah. There's well a, it's funny because george a, like his anger over his stuck zipper is exactly what's wrong with him yes that's right <laughs> that's right that's exactly well that's why like so i i mean i have that line i'm, I'm being a little glue but i do think this is true i because I, I do quite i mean you're right to to quote from Seinfeld because I quote from Seinfeld in the article. Yeah. Because uh, Jerry has this he has this pre-show bit about don't you hate seeing to be continued? And I hated this as a child. My like I think I've said this before, but uh, yeah. on other things. So I apologize for repeating myself. But my mother, after I started writing about all this, she she said to me, she said, you know, you always hated to be continues as a kid. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and she said, when when there when the show would end and it would say to be continued or, or you, you would just say like oh it's a continue like that's what yeah, I would call yeah, it. yeah. A, a continue a continue yeah, and, nice and um and that's what jerry that's what jerry talks about in the one of the pre-show bits i think it's the episode is called the wallet, the wallet uh, yeah. where where his uh, father loses his wallet my wallet's gone my wallet's gone right yeah, took my think... wallet it's horrible when you sense the to be continued coming you know you're watching the show you're into the story then there's like five minutes left and suddenly you realize Hey, they can't make it. Timmy's still stuck in the cave. There's no way they wrap this up in five minutes. I mean, the whole reason you watch a TV show is because it ends. If I wanted a long, boring story with no point to it, I have my life. A comedian can't do that, see? I can't go, man walks into a bar with a pig under his arm. Can you come back next week? Yeah. What's that, the deal to be continued? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, I mean, am I am I not just doing that? The was that the that, episode, Pate, that was a double that you were talking yeah, about? You didn't mention it in the article, but the episode itself is a double episode. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. I uh that's funny. I probably well, you know what? I, I think I think that there there are sometimes there are things that are that are interesting to me that I to go back <laughs> to the text message thing, I yeah. think does that help the argument that I'm making? Or is this just like, like I'm trying to, uh, like, uh, Ryan, like, it would have brought everything together. It would have been a brilliant point. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I recently <laughs> found an interview with Larry David, uh, Charlie Rose, you know, with the black background and they're speaking mm-hmm. very candidly. And he described it. I, I'd never, I mean, it's obvious when you think of Seinfeld this way, but he said that Seinfeld was pitched not as a show about nothing, mm-hmm. but as a show about how a comedian, how a comedian comes up with material. material. Yeah. And, that like throws like when I was a kid, obviously because I started watching it as like when I was quite young, I never really like paired up mm-hmm. the stand up bits with the show. Yeah, but, I mean it does work that way, especially in the earlier seasons. And it's funny because like in that episode on the wallet, he's saying, "Don't you hate to be continued?" And then of course the show is it to be continued. It's going to be it to be continued. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, he's doing that. Yeah. So what what you call that in um. In TV terms, is you you call a hang a uh, hanging a lampshade or putting a lampshade on it, where you you say what you're doing as you're doing it. Okay, and, which I also which I find very uh, yeah psychoanalytic. Um, and a lot of times it's used as a device to like 
it's sometimes in 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 I will say this in in less adroit hands, it's used as a like uh like as an excuse to do something uh, cliched. But yeah. in like like uh, in a cooperative calligraphy, the episode of Community that is self aware as a like as a bottle episode, Abed keeps saying it like it really like that episode. It really tells you about what the bottle episode does like like and not <laughs> like didactically, not in exposition, but in just like in what it does in the in the whole architecture of it and even in shot i mean this is in my uh my very recent article I, in fact so recent i'm not sure it's out yet uh but uh, it'll be in it'll be in my book and i think that like what uh in what with seinfeld doing that like i i don't rem i don't know i i have become interested in 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 trying to uh track down at archives uh like recordings of, of of tv shows that like have the commercials like it's in their original airing and uh -huh. i don't know like did did people know that the wallet was going to be a two-parter before it before it aired you, you know like i, yeah, I don't know not. that yeah probably i would say probably not so like it, it so if it's in in fact it, it would be more interesting if it's not so let's just go with that let's just pretend that's true yeah. and <laughs> if it's not what we're about to say still works theoretically but not actually so what you do because you don't uh you don't think that like you don't think that there's going to be some uh a structural resonance with that stand-up bit from jerry's with the episode yeah they don't know because there, there's often like there's like a little bit like the marine biologist is a pretty example is a pretty good example <laughs> where one of the best episodes it's one of the i think it's for, for my money i think it's the best i, I think there um there are some others that that, that they're challengers but i but i think it's i think it's the best i it's it's a great it's a great episode that like almost everything comes back and, and what is yeah. so successful about it is everything almost every object introduced into the episode is like Chekhov's gun and then the thing that actually is Chekhov's gun seems like a MacGuffin which mm -hmm. is the uh mm -hmm. like there the, what what happens like it's just from the beginning of the of the episode and I'll, I'll get back on track on the other thing in a second but like Jerry starts with Golden Boy. He starts with this shirt. Like, <laughs> yeah. Elaine, look, look at Golden look, Boy. Look at Golden, Golden Boy. Boy. <laughs> it's always the first shirt I wear when I get back from, you know, uh, uh, sending the, the laundry out. And she's on the phone, and she's on the phone with Pendant Publishing, and they're going uh, to they are gonna put her on to talk to Yuri Testikov. Who, yeah, yeah, what yeah. Jerry tells her is that, like, I heard this amazing thing about Tolstoy. He really originally wanted to call War and Peace. War, what is it good for? Now Tolstoy, another serial author. So we have a, like a nice, nice connection nice. here. And of course that comes back. And uh, But it's even little things. Like in that scene, George breaks in. And he breaks in doing a Jack Nicholson impression from A Few Good Men. He breaks in going, you can't handle the truth. And this, his little part of it, part of the episode is he's explaining that he, uh, he has to take his mail when he leaves the house because his mother reads it. And th there's an alumni magazine. And Elaine starts reading from the alumni magazine. Both Jerry and George went to Queens College. And she starts, there's an entry about Jerry. And she reads the entry about Jerry and that they, he had done a, a, a pilot for NBC, mm -hmm. which was not yeah. picked up. And then Elaine says, George, how come there's nothing about you in here? And Jerry says, he can't handle the truth. So even <laughs> yeah. like, like, so everything really comes back in that episode, except for the thing, they do a really nice thing where, because of the way that it's structured, Kramer goes out to the beach and he hits the golf balls, right? He's the only one that does it. And he becomes obsessed with the sand. So you think his storyline is about the sand when really it's about the golf ball. Mm -hmm. And so like that's the like and, and the episode does like really great jobs of like hiding that from you 
because it and Kramer normally doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the crew because he's usually off doing his other things against you, which to go back to the wallet is probably what that beginning bit that uh, Jerry does also accomplished, which was that like he's telling you that you're about to watch a to be continued episode and you don't know that. And so yeah. that 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 is this, which is the same experience that Freud is trying to like he's trying to understand and get out of analysis, which is that you don't know you're about to do it to be continued, yeah. but you are. And yeah. this is like really vexing to him. Why are you telling me that it's going to be a continued when it's going to be a to be continued? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and nicely done. So Whereas like Billy um, yeah, cinema would yeah. signify that at the end where you'd have the title card, the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the, to bring in early cinema is really interesting is that like the um, a lot of early cinema, like the like film serials were do dominant in early uh, early cinema. And when uh, particularly when synchronous sound came, uh, but even earlier than that, like with the the development of the the feature, uh, the, like the feature film, like we, we totally take this for granted. Why? Why is something a feature film? Well, because mm. it's not the serial short beforehand, mm. you know, mm -hmm. um, and th there, there's other things that we totally take for granted. Like people used to just like walk into the theater yeah. just, like like because they would just be running. And it's, it's not until Psycho. There was a little bit earlier, like 20 years earlier, there was this thing where um, when Mildred Pierce was released, there was a thing that you couldn't sit for the last five minutes of the movie. They didn't want people doing that because it would like ruin, they would ruin the, the film for the next people who, who saw it or whatever. And, and it's not until Hitchcock and Psycho, like there's this huge ad campaign <clears throat> where it's like Hitchcock pointing out a watch or like a clock, like be there on time. Like that yeah, just like yeah. wasn't a, Thing, you know so anyway in this earlier era of cinema serial film is, is like function not unlike tiktok it were these these things that like you saw bits and pieces of and that's and that's what you that's what you did like like that that was your kind of relationship to the movie theater um, it's like the comic the, strip in a newspaper right yeah and you get this yeah, little yeah, yeah. This couple of panels yeah. and then and then that's it like that's the whole reason why i look at the sunday paper my uh my mother-in-law always gets a sunday paper and it's a big spread and I, I always read the Sunday and I'm always confused because I don't read the funnies during the rest of the week. I just read it on Sunday, which is like, again, this experience, like if you're just walking into the theater and you're seeing like every, I don't know, like you're seeing like every four minutes of the perils of Pauline, you like, it's not so confusing. Like you don't have to see everything to get what's going on. Pauline's going to yeah. be in peril. I mean, it's right there in the title, <laughs> but like that, that was the, so that was the relationship to the, uh, to the cinema then. And then again, then with the development of the feature, the serial falls out of film really until, uh, really until the film series, like star Wars and star Trek, that whole thing starts to, starts to, to, to happen. And then obviously we're here where the film series is, you know, is dominant. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I thought, sorry, sorry. There, um, there is a question. I want to go back to a question. Someone had a question. I don't know what question you were answering just now, but I was going to ask you earlier, you were talking about Freud and seriality. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the essay, you're kind of drawing a distinction between his and Lacan's sort of interpretation mm. of, of seriality. And oh yeah. The, the distinction there in their, in the analytic session is really interesting in terms of seriality. If you could, uh, expand on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So two things. So Lacan does, uh, I would argue, I mean, is it an argument or is it just an observation? 
I just think he does this, but maybe maybe it is an argument that um, he is trying to solve this problem of seriality that that Freud lays out that because what what Freud says, I mean, I read this in the article, um, but for anyone who hasn't read it, what Freud gets into is that like it's it's really the it's the to be continued. It's the it's the it's the fall of that cut. That's that that causes the problem. It, it has nothing to do with what anyone is saying. That's a, like this, this like really great formalist point that Freud is making it has nothing to do mm. with the concept that I is saying. Absolutely nothing. Like, like it's not that like, well, someone like they're gonna start telling this traumatic story and then the they gotta go. And then of course that would bother them until the next time they came to see Freud. That he doesn't say that at all. What he says is it's it's just the falling of that end. And it doesn't matter what anyone was talking about. It's just it's gonna he says it lingers more in the mind than it otherwise would have. And that the the patient suffers more than if they had just finished the the story. And it's the same. And it's like he's talking about he doesn't name it as the cliffhanger, but because uh, I don't know if that had been like, I doubt that's a that's an English expression. It's sometimes it's it's sourced from Thomas Hardy, who in a pair of blue eyes, uh, this serial uh, novel that, that he wrote, he literally has the the main character hanging off a cliff between mm. one installment and the next. Very, and it's very, really, as, really... as an aside, Ryan, do you know the yeah. end of the original Italian job? Oh, I do, of With course. Michael Caine, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 of course, of it's course. Another another literal cliffhanger. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. No, literal cliffhangers are great. I Like, in the Thomas Hardy one, he even, it's kind of it's kind of cool, like, he, the, the person hanging off a cliff is a geologist, and he's looking at the rock, and he's, and he's like, <laughs> he's thinking, he's thinking about, like, how long the rocks have been there, Mm. And and like at the same time as he's contemplating his own like seemingly immediate finitude, yeah. and he's looking about like how the rocks are going to stay there, and he's not going to. It's like it's very cool, and it's either either he invents it or we just say he invents. It's like one of those things. So Freud is talking about he what he's talking about is a cliffhanger, and the thing about the cliffhanger, and this is just in the Thomas Hardy example, but not in the Italian job because that ends the film. But in the Thomas Hardy thing, the woman he was with, she takes off all her clothes and fashioned them into a rope to pull him up. And so it's just like, oh, so if you had just I been able to read, stress Maxima, it's pretty good. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. I like so like that's often how it happens is that like you, you when something is a cliffhanger, like um, I think True Blood might be the most egregious offender of this, like a, a, for a show that I've watched and like that, like every episode is this cliffhanger. But you watch like 40 seconds of the next episode and whatever tension was there is just immediately resolved. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is sort of the so that that is. Freud's not referencing the cliffhanger, but he is talking like really like expertly about the structures that if you could have mm. just continued the session for like another couple of minutes, the probably the, the thing would have wrapped up and it would have been fine. But the thing is, is you can't keep you can't do that. Like you have to you have to end it because every ending is going to occasion that. That's sort of what he's positing. Is, is every something ending... good about the anticipation for the next session? Uh, I don't think he doesn't. Not... He, OK, he doesn't find it that way. I mean. I can only answer for him like like he doesn't think he thinks that is just it, it just is, it troubles the mind of the of the patient. Okay. I don't you think, think Ryan, that yeah. the, the sort of artificial limitations of the clinic like that end that it generates this sense that they were about they're on the cusp of some kind of breakthrough. That's interesting, Michael. Yeah. In I, the same way so that like, yeah. sorry, but in, in the same way okay. that in the rebus of a dream. There's this sense there's some kind of depth to the dream to be interpreted, mm -hmm. but it's the limitation of the particular dream itself that produces this sense of depth. I like it. I, I, yeah. So I'm, 
I'm always wary as a I'm always very aware of my role as a media studies professor. And I, I try not to make bold proclamations about the clinical side of things <laughs> because because I, some people, you know, analysts, uh, well, for, for good reason, just sometimes don't. Uh, don't like that, or, or or find it comes from a, a place of, uh, of of lack of experience. Uh, but the good I, news is here we're so bereft of any credibility that you can say whatever <laughs> you want. How could they not fire you? I thought I'd fail at failing. Oh come on, man! I feel like I can't do anything wrong. Nonsense! You do everything wrong. Everything. Everything. You really think so? Absolutely. I have no confidence in you. <laughs> All right. I guess I just have to pick myself up, dust myself off, and throw myself right back down again. That's the spirit. You suck. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that is really, really funny. It's, that is it's the... a damn shame if it doesn't work out in practice because we're talking theory here. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I, I definitely see the liberatory point that you're making. So yeah. what I'll what I'll what I'll say what I'll say is I think Michael to your question. I think that it absolutely can function that way, that like I felt like we were really getting somewhere. And I what I would say Freud's point probably would have been it, confronted with that question would be that is exactly the kind of conclusion that he would like to put, push the patient away from that, like, because it, I think it is, as you said, it's just because of the if, if that is how someone would have felt, it's just because of the end coming that they felt. That has nothing to yeah, do and with to yeah go ahead sorry to interrupt there's a to add another seinfeld reference in here there uh, george uh george's relationship ends in what he feels to be a premature way and he's like i loved it jerry and jerry's like no you didn't and he's like she could have been the one no couldn't have been <laughs> but george no, just thinks it. because the relationship ends then it was the most important thing in the world but yeah right yeah. But jerry just sees right through it right no it is the and, and so that like that's why he and I think Lacan in, in their different ways, like they they try to they try to work out the the end of analysis as like 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 what do you and and Freud actually has um this is a spoiler for my for my book but like Freud has a pretty good answer for this in studies on hysteria like it's like the last it's like one of the last lines um and I, I don't I don't know I don't know why he doesn't come back to it um maybe he just thinks that because he wrote that and he had less experience then when he wrote that line that when he had more experience he couldn't uh go back to a prior conclusion i i i'm 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 not sure but the the conclusion he comes to is that like what you you want to you want to bring the uh the neurotic you you want to you know you want to bring whoever is in whoever is in analysis to ha be better prepared to accept ordinary human unhappiness that's the mm. like amazing phrase mm. yeah. and and I, 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 to me, I, I think that's the like, that I, I just think it's a great answer. I just think it's a great like, what's the end of analysis is like when someone can accept ordinary human unhappiness. I think it's like a, it's a perfect answer. Um, but I, I think that you know, for different reasons, like you can't. <laughs> I don't think I would want to. If I was an analyst, I don't think I would want to say like on the first day, like, look, we're going to try to get you to accept ordinary human unhappiness. That seems like it's not enough. And I would, and 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 it, it doesn't seem like a good advert for the method itself. Um, so, but I, I, I think that like what he was rightly like what he what he rightly in, intuited as the issue like right from the very beginning and then explored is that like you you do have to come upon it as a project. And I would say like as a 
as a series. Like you open when you open yourself up to analysis, when you decide to make yourself vulnerable in that way, you do commit to a series. And and whether you've thought about it or not. And I and I think that and it's a series of <laughs> it's a series of cliffhangers. It's a series where, you know, some episodes are better than others, you know, where <laughs> where maybe maybe they should have held back that one. It's a series where maybe it gets canceled or you would want it to be <laughs> like, and you, know, you know, so like I, I and I think he's just trying to puzzle that out. And Lacan, for his part. So what he tries to do to uh, kind of get around this issue of the of the end, because what he doesn't want and this is what gets him kicked out of the I, the um, I always like to think it's funny now to that it's the IPA. Because it's the International Psychoanalytic or Psychoanalysis Association, that, um, mm. and I always—it's just a lot funnier to think of it as India Pale Ale. Like it's just, <laughs> so, like, so it gets he him. He just loved his hoppy brews. He just—he was so—he was so into putting, uh, you know, uh, pomegranate and grapefruit <laughs> in as these yeah. notes, and they were like, "That's ridiculous." They were like, That's "No, for, beer has to be undrinkable." It has to be an undrinkable thing. <laughs> Save that for for a session, which we're, we're going to pronounce in in a very a, a, a session way. IPA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, what he tries to what he tries to avoid uh, is that it's just the that the clock is the meaning making signifier. So what he tries to so what he does um, is. Uh, I, I prefer because I think it, uh, most places will call this the short session or the vari variable length session. And I think that like that's why he got kicked out because people thought he was like like he was taking advantage of people. He was like charging full price mm -hmm. for like maybe they would sit down with him for like eight minutes. And and you can see the like, uh, you know, the the problem with that from an economic standpoint, uh, certainly. Um, and like I I. But the point is, this is the better way to think of it, is it's a punctuated session. And what that means is, like, he was waiting for the patient to say something that exceeded them. And the second that that happened, that's it. That's over. You got to go. Yeah. And um, I like it as a solution. The The only issue, I mean, this this is, like, a thing that is, that, like, one has to grapple with, uh, with Lacan, is that, like, does install him as the uh, of his domain to go back to Seinfeld. Mm. It does make <laughs> it. It does make him the like he's the meaning making signifier. So like yeah. I've decided when you exceed yourself, you know that that would be so. But I also think he's right, and it does take another person to note like you said something that was like you said more than what you meant, and mm. I and so like I, I think. Like I, I think on the like on the on the side of the principle of the thing, like he's really really right. But it's just sort of like it's a lot like the formulas and the math themes that like you know he said this was to hystericize his students to to disinstall him as master. But excuse me, because he was the only one who under he was the only one who understood them in the first place. Like yeah. that he becomes the the math. You know what I mean? So like that's yeah. the you get back to that the best thing about you is the worst thing about you, worst thing about you, the best thing about you. Like so <laughs> I. I think that's I think that's the he tries to untangle the knot of the ending, but like in in making him the like the punctuator as like mm, a, yeah. like a 1960s Marvel villain. Uh, well, he's like, the guy with the hook pulling someone off stage, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> 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 <laughs>